of life's excellence. It's um, one of those questions that you can, t- can interpret a number of ways, can't you? So when I ask you, how's your love life, it could be, it could be are you feeling loved? Are you, are you feeling accepted? Are you feeling in a place where your heart is full of love and you're at peace with the world and, and, and things are good? It could be, how's your love life? Are you loving others? It could be that, are, are, you, are, are you overflowing with love for people and ministering to people and serving people? And it could be your love life. But that wasn't where I was going. <laughs> That's good. Glad we've clarified that. I want to start a new series this morning looking at a revolution of love because I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to. The type of love, the demonstration of love, the overflow of love, the activation of love that is revolutionary. Ordinary people like you and me that are filled with the love of God and then it flows over in such a way that it causes a and activates change. It's a momentum. It's a movement. It's not a religion. It's a movement because we are so invaded and, and, and pervaded by the Spirit of God and we, we catch hold of this, this dynamic love that Jesus wants to give us and because of the type of love that's in us, we can't help but change things everywhere that we go because of this love, the type of love that oozes out. And the type of love that Jesus expressed when we read the Bible was revolutionary. It really was. He, he, uh, he assaulted the society of his day in the way that he loved people. He loved the unlovable. That's who he sought out. That's who he hung around with, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the diseased, the lepers, every, the people that everyone else said shun them. Jesus went and loved them. It was revolutionary. He wasn't worried about catching leprosy. He was in there hugging them and kissing them and holding their babies and loving them. It was revolutionary. He served the least amongst his society. When he talked about um, enemies, he said, love your enemies. Give them the shirt off your back. If they say walk a mile, go an extra mile. Like that, people would say, what are you talking about? Love your enemies. No, I want revenge. I want to crush my enemies. I want to make their life miserable. He said, no, no. Love them. Love them. Pray for them. Pray that they would be blessed. Turn it around. His love was unconditional. He loved regardless of colour, of age or status. He wasn't impressed by people's positions. He just loved unconditionally. And he loved beyond logical limits where you and I would probably get to a point where we'd go, well, I've given enough now. (laughs) Jesus would say, "Uh uh-uh. There are no limits. You get involved in my revolution, you choose to be part of that revolution, then I'll give you all the resources that you need to keep giving the love if you do it my way and if you do it in my strength because I'll give you rivers of living water, rivers of love that will bubble up and bubble up and keep bubbling and when you get empty, I'll fill them up again so that you can love in the most extravagant way. I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to do. You know the thing that I I love most about him? He loved without recompense. He loved not thinking, well, if I love them, I'll get this back. Or if I do this, I'll get this, you know, favour or this. No, he didn't. He just loved. 
regardless. Regardless. His love was shocking, it was radical, and it was extravagant. You cannot read the New Testament, you cannot read the Beatitudes, you cannot read the parables and not be confronted by the type of love that Jesus offered. It is shocking because it's so countercultural. And I believe God's calling us to a revolution of love. I believe it will be what turns the tide. And I think Jesus, like when he looked down the tunnel of time and he looked to us at this day and age, he was looking for people that would love that way, not just preach a gospel, but to outwork a love both practically and verbally that would infect people. It would aggravate people. It would break people. It would humble people. People would get angry at us for doing the things that we do. People wouldn't understand it. It would confound them. But that love would either be so attractional that people would be drawn to it or they would be so offended by it that they would just have to tear us down somehow. Couldn't cope emotionally with the type of love that was being offered. So Jesus came to model and ignite a movement that would assault the walls of insurmountable heartache, injustice, and poverty, and he's called us to lead the revolution. You know, it's easy to stand here and talk that language. Let's, let's start a revolution. But you need to understand what you're saying when you say, I want to be part of that revolution. Because it's not just a rah-rah slogan that we put on our business cards or our banners, a revolution of love. It has to be a life commitment to live that way. And I believe that it's going to assault us before we can actually embrace it and give it away because it's confronting. I want to read you a, a parable that Jesus taught. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who's my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Well, go and do likewise. Pretty cool story. <laughs> So the parable of the Good Samaritan is representative of what Jesus expects of you and me. It's one of the most common stories in Scripture. But the point of the story, in 60 seconds or less, 
is that a man, the man on the road could be anybody in any situation or any circumstance. He's our neighbour. And there's neighbours all around us, in our workplaces, everywhere. There's people heartbroken, in need, who need bandages, who need their wounds tended to, who just need someone to sit and listen, who need love. There are men, women and children in desperate need and they need someone to intervene and assist in that trouble. We all get that. The priest and the Levite in the story, just by their title, are immediately identified as people who should have had the heart and the disposition to stop. That was their ministry, looking after people. And yet when they saw it, they went on the other side of the road to get away from the problem. But the Samaritan, who in the context of Jesus' time was a hated foreigner, the least likely of them all, stopped. Spent his time, spent his money, got inconvenienced, tended to the wounds, took him and made sure he was looked after. He became the guardian and the protector. It's a really powerful story. The point of the parable is that uh, it implicates every one of us to be deeply committed to love. What Jesus was saying was, you can't pass people by. When you see the need, you have to stop. That's what a revolution of love does. It compels you to get involved. If you truly understand the heart of God, the heart of God is no matter how big the mess, no matter how big the problem, no matter how limited your resources, no matter how inadequate you feel, you've got to stop and help. You have to help. And the point of the parable is that there is no excuse that we can discharge from taking responsibility. Oh, Lord, I'm too busy. Or I'm too tired. Or I'm not trained. Or I don't have any money. It doesn't cut the mustard. That's what a revolution does. It's a movement that people get ignited by and caught up in and can't help themselves because they've been transferred from the inside out. And the outworking of that love factor is that you, you have to. And it's not that you have to, it's that you want to. That's the difference. It's not like Jesus is saying, you have to because I'm making you. It's because our heart should be so overwhelmed with the burden and the need that we say, I want to. Everything within me is compelled to. Inconvenience isn't an excuse and time is no excuse and the expense is no excuse. The mandate that Jesus had was go and do likewise. That's simple. But yet that costly. It was pretty powerful. I heard a story about four people. Everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody. There was an important job to be done, like looking after the robber, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. And anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought anybody could do it. But nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. And in the end, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> That's how most of us approach the man on the road. We go, someone else will do it. You are the someone else. <laughs> That's what Jesus tells us. So I guess what I want to ask you is the way that I live my life and the way that you live your life, a catalyst 
for a revolution of love. It's interesting that love is embedded in the word revolution, isn't it? Tabitha, the light's just gone. She's, she's realised I put love in red. It's pretty cool. Well, when Jesus talked, he always talked in simple concepts. And he said, you are the salt and the light. And that means in, in any situation, when, when you and I step into it, we flavour that situation or we bring light into that situation. So if it's, a, if it's a situation like the robber on the side of the road, my presence in that circumstance should bring salt. I should flavour that situation in such a way that it changes for goodness and godliness. And when I step into that situation, I bring light into that situation and, and, and I am a catalyst to bring change to represent Jesus. I met these two lovely ladies with Dave last week. The lady at the top on the right is Sister Melee, and the lady on the left at the bottom is her niece, Sister Carlo. Uh, this is St Christopher's Orphanage in Suva. And uh, Dave and I went there um, with Miri from the factory and we, we had the opportunity to pray. And... Sister Malay at the top there is a beautiful lady and she brought out seven kids to us and as she was bringing them through the door, she just whispered to us, these children have just come in. They've just been removed from their family because they've been sexually abused. Would you pray for them, please? I'm like, oh, Lord, <laughs> what do you say? So we just held their hands and we hugged them and we prayed for them and it was such a blessing and, and, and then... The sister asked us to go out the back and, um, yeah, just to have a cup of tea. And, and as we did that, we just said, can, can we pray for you guys? Do you have any prayer needs? And all their prayer needs were about everything else but themselves. It was about this child and this kid and this for the orphanage. And, and it just went on and on. And Dave stopped and he said, no, but what about you? How can we pray for you? And so we had this incredible opportunity to hear their testimony. God called Sister Melee to Fiji 25 years ago to serve that community of young children. And her niece has been there for 20 years. She went there as a 20-year-old. She's now 40. They're both celibate. They've never been married. And as we dialogued with them, Sister Carlo said, oh, I'm so excited I get to go home soon and visit my family. And Dave said, don't you get holidays? And she said, yeah, I get to go home once a week every five years. They work 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all these kids. And I sat there and I thought, I am so spoiled. What's my excuse? Like, you know, we talk about love, we talk about a revolution. They've given up their whole lives to serve these children. I met Sister Malay in 1998 when I went to that orphanage and she's still there and she's excited as ever. She has this effervescent joy of God. She's just amazing. She's 73 or something like that and Darren and Brad and Simon are going to have the pleasure of going there and, and being a blessing to them. But I just, it challenged me when I heard their testimony that that was a demonstration of love, revolutionary type of love that Jesus called us to do. Are they very educated? Not really. They're simple Tongan ladies who lived in a village and God said, go to Fiji, and he opened up the door because they had a heart 
to be a catalyst for change. And they've faithfully loved on those little kids for years and years. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, then I'm nothing. And if I could give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. (laughs) It's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? It's got to come from here. We've got to have a heart of love and it's going to cost us and it's going to be confrontational. If there is to be a revolution of love, it has to start with a reformation within me. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to shed abroad his love within our hearts. So I don't know if you've ever fed chooks before with pellets and you walk through and you grab the pellets and you just flip or you've spread garden seed around before or fertiliser or something like that. That's the imagery of that passage that the Holy Spirit has so lavished upon us, in us, this love of God that there are wells within us ready to be tapped for us to be poured out to other people. I believe there's five things we need to look at really quickly today. I think we need a greater burden for the need. I think we've we've been conditioned to let it pass us by. I think sometimes we just let it go. We pass on the other side of the road. I think God's saying, no, my heart is for you to revolutionise the world through love. And that will only happen if we have a burden. We must be willing to sacrifice. That that Samaritan man, it cost him. He was on a journey, at a destination. If he's anything like me, he doesn't enjoy the journey. He just wants to get there as fast as he can. So it would have been incredibly inconvenient to stop and care. It cost him time. It cost him money. So we've got to be willing to sacrifice. We need a compelling sense of obligation. It's not just the leader's obligation. It's not just compassion's obligation. It's not just you know the salvo's obligation. It's every one of us has an obligation because the love of Christ in us should have done something within our inner being that we feel compelled, that we feel like we have a mandate and a responsibility to rectify injustice and to speak out on behalf of people that have no voice anymore, who are exploited or oppressed or marginalised. That should be our heart, that when we see it, we should get angry and we should get uptight and it should make us sick and we should lie awake at night worried about the magnitude of the problem. But then we put that in context of who our God is and what he's called us to do and we know that we can do something to make a difference. We need to move beyond statistics and discussions and get into action. Because I could throw all sorts of statistics at you today and we'd be horrified, but it might not change anything if our hearts aren't affected by it. And we need an activation of divine love. Let's go through these really quickly. There are one billion people who earn less than a dollar a day. Fathom that for a minute. Less than Australian one dollar a day. That's, 
that's mind-boggling for me. There are 963 million people who are classified as hungry right now. Starving. 30,000 children a day die from hunger. In the time that I've spoken, there's been about 7,000 children die just while I've been talking. 640 million people are without adequate shelter. 400 million people don't have safe drinking water. The, the, the statistics are just numbing. But we're so far removed from it that it's hard, it's hard to get your head around what you can do. There's 1.2 million children are sex trafficked every year. That doesn't include the ones that already have been. So it's just, it's just rising. We need something to rouse us from our complacency or our ignorance or our distaste for difficulty. We need something to stir us up, to rise up against pain and poverty. We need something to rise up within us that says, I'm going to stop the loss and I'm going to help stop the lack. And I'm going to fight for injustice and I'm going to try and stop oppression. In some context, somewhere, somehow, God is going to call you to serve. So we need a deeper awakening. And let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, determining how we may stir up and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. I interpret that passage that, Darren, if you ever see me get lazy and you ever see me not caring for people, you give me both rockets, mate. Between the eyes. Because I believe that says we should not be looking around saying, oh, it's all right that they're busy or it's all right that they're not involved. I think we should be stirring one another up and inciting a riot. Like either get with the program or get out <laughs> type of thing. Because God is saying the needs are so great and, and I've given you keys to the kingdom to bring solutions. Do it. Please get involved. All of us can do something. So we need to find ways to keep stirring one another up and not oh, sorry. Not not letting ourselves get complacent. We must die to our own selfishness. Most of us spend a great deal of time thinking, talking about and making plans for ourselves. But the heart of following Christ is that we should no longer be the centre of our worlds. Others should. The engine room of a love revolution is our willingness to deny ourselves, to love our neighbours as ourselves. We make sure we get fed. We make sure there's clothes. We make sure we go on holidays. We make sure, we make sure, we make sure. When do we start making sure for others? Because that's, that's the assault of the gospel, isn't it? And we're so comfortable in our culture. We're so blessed and yet I don't think we give enough away and I don't think we spend enough because we're still so self-focused and that goes for me as much as anybody. Here's the point about this. I cannot let the fear of getting too involved keep me from doing nothing at all because when you stand and you survey the needs, something within you goes, it's too big and it is. And that's the quandary that your heart will be broken and you will agonise and you will be frustrated and you will be burdened because when you go and you see the mess and the dysfunction, you go, I cannot change it completely. But you can change it a little bit. 
You can change one life or two lives or one family or two families or three or teach people or do whatever you can do in your capacity that God's given you. Don't let the fear of getting too involved keep you from being involved at all. That's really important because that will be the trigger point where you go, I opt out. But God's greater than any of that. He really is. We need a driving sense of obligation. If being part of a love revolution is merely an idea that gives you a nice feeling, you will change your mind about being part of it when you realise that you will need to do some things you would rather not do in order to walk in love. Does that make sense? I don't think the Samaritan man went, Yippee! A man on the side of the road, bleeding, unconscious. He probably went, I don't want to do this. But he did it. That's why we read about him. I must be willing to change my plans to be inconvenienced. I must be willing to give both my time and my money. Don't underestimate the power of goodness. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. It's a gift of the Spirit. It has power when you do good things. Overcome evil with good. Practice aggressive goodness. Don't grow weary in doing good. Be rich in good works. Look for ways to bless people. You know, 2 Corinthians talks about the love of Christ compels us. If we understand the gospel and the love of God has invaded our hearts, then, then we know we can't opt out. We know we have to get involved. We have to engage because we're compelled. We want to. We need to move beyond statistics to action. Good intentions aren't enough. We have to get down to ministering to felt needs. I remember Sister Malay was telling me the story about when she came to Fiji. She was uh, sharing the gospel with people, the gospel message. And a lady said to her, yes, but the gospel won't fill my stomach. And she realised that she had to meet their felt need before she could meet their real need, which was Jesus. And so she combined those two together and set up that orphanage. And God is counting on us. We can be informed about things, we can pray, we can take action. Even if we can't go, we can support the ministries that do go. We can do projects like Cheryl's doing. We can all do something to do, help somebody somewhere. Whatever you can do is worth doing. Whatever you can do. Some can give money, some can go on mission trips, others can do lunches on Christmas Day. There's Surely there's something we can do to change the plight of somebody. We need an activation of divine love, and this is, what, this is the pointy end of what I'm getting to today. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to do the following things. They're all about a revolution of love those things, proclaiming good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. We have to get back to the fundamental belief that God has anointed us with the capacity to bring change, to be the change. We are the change. Why? Because we've been anointed. 
We've been activated. It's like the robot sitting there. You've been activated. <laughs> not good, did it? Probably not. <laughs> what was that? No, she said no. I know. So I put a little thing in your newsletter today. I want this to be our response today. I choose to take up compassion. I surrender my excuses. I will stand against injustice. I commit to live out acts of God's love. I refuse to do nothing. I am the love revolution. It starts with me. In my context, where God calls me, whatever he puts in front of me, I'm called to be the love revolution. So, how's your love life? Is your love tank full? Are you overflowing with compassion? Are you overflowing with a compulsion to love people despite the cost? I believe that's what God's calling us to do. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you feel like something needs to happen in your life to get you to that point, I want to pray for you. Maybe you just feel insensitive to need. I want to pray that God will burden you in the right sort of way so that you, you can't find excuses. So you'll be like Sister Mella who had to lay down her life and just give it all. Maybe your heart is just overwhelmed by the, the needs out there and you just go, Lord, I, I don't know where to start. I believe God's going to fill you with love today. Do you want to be filled with love? That's, that's the choice. And I believe God's going to do it. And I'm taking my wife has something to say. <laughs> <laughs>